One of the comments I made when I looked through my notes for 2006 uh, was this, that, um, that of all of the Elam churches that I had visited, and, I, and even then I probably visited all of them in Northern Ireland, or almost all, I, I said that this church was strategically placed for mission. That you were in walking distance from an established and growing community with shops, leisure facilities, hospital, and it was the perfect location for sharing Jesus. Uh, that was 2006. If you can go back to the archives and you can, you can check that. So here we are 11 years on. And so I've asked the question, how's Pip getting on? I want to ask you all a question. How are you getting on? How are you getting on with that commission that, that Jesus gave you? How are you getting on with the honor of being strategically placed for the mission of God in Dundonald? How's the last 11 years been? How are you doing? One thing I've learned and I preached on this last week, was that the enemy is a kleptomaniac. It, it, some of you may not know what that, that is. A klepto means thief. A, a kleptomaniac is someone who just can't help themselves stealing. Jesus, when he speaks of the enemy, calls him a thief. And he says this, he says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come to give you life and to give you an abundance. And here's what the enemy will do all the time. He will always look to pinch from you. He'll always try and do a number on you. Always. He's obsessed by it. The moment you wake up in the morning, all he wants to do is pinch from you. He wants to pinch your joy. He wants to pinch your health. He wants to pinch your peace. He wants to pinch your family. He wants to pinch your wealth. He wants to pinch all of your blessings. He wants to do a number on you. That's all he thinks about. The devil, the thief comes to steal and he comes to kill and he comes to destroy. The word kill can be translated also as sacrifice. So when he comes to steal, right, he comes like the artful dodger, the pickpocket. Who's seen, who's seen Oliver Twist? And this is, how, this is how it works, right? Dodger, right? Dodger will wait until you are distracted. You're having a conversation with someone that you're getting, uh, you're looking at fruit in the marketplace. When you least expect it, you'll come and do a number on you. That, that's how the enemy works. He'll wait until you... You least expect it, and then he moves in. That's also why the devil's referred to as a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may what devour. How does a lion work? I've had the privilege of being in safari twice in Kenya. This is what lions do most of the time. They sleep, and when they're not sleeping, they're looking for food. And when they go looking for food, they don't go running like a pussycat around your house. They just wait, and they'll wait, and they'll wait until that little antelope, the baby one, decides to go for a drink of water by the brook, and he moves in. He's a thief, and when he comes to steal, he also comes to kill. 
sacrifice is the word. So this is how it works. When you picture this, he will try and steal from you, Campbell. And he will do his best to steal from you. And if he can't pickpocket you, the next thing he'll try to do is sacrifice. He'll try to get you to sacrifice it. He'll say, he'll try to negotiate like he did with Jesus. If you do this, I'll do that. He'll try, to, he'll try to border with you and say, if you have some of this, he wants you to have good stuff, but he doesn't want you to have the God stuff. Isn't that right? He wants you to have the good stuff, but not the God stuff. So the enemy will say, hey, I'll give you this. As long as I can stop you from doing the great stuff, from doing the God stuff, I'll get you doing the good stuff. So you'll try to sacrifice. And then the last thing you'll do is you'll steal to kill and, and then to destroy. And here's the pattern. The pattern is one of absolute jealousy. Picture the child in a classroom, right? And, and they're having a drawing competition for the teacher. And the little girl is drawing and she's looking at her friend's drawing and her friend's drawing better than hers. And she knows she can't pinch it. It's too obvious. She knows she can't negotiate with her and say, do you want to swap? So what does she do? In absolute jealousy, she grabs it and she rips it up. What I can't pinch, what I can't negotiate, I will destroy. That's a tactic of the enemy. We need to know his tactics, don't we? So how have you been getting on the last 11 years? How are you doing? Maybe you're only new into the church. Welcome. Welcome to the challenge of church and the challenge of Christian life. I'm not suggesting that the enemy has done a number on you. But I am suggesting that you need to be aware of his tactics. 11 years on, how are you getting on? Everything around the Donald is growing and changing. You've got a, a better hospital now and a bigger hospital. You've got more houses. You've got better shops. Well, a few. You've got, you got a cinema. You've got crazy golf. You've even got restaurants in Dundonald now. 11 years ago, it was a golden chip and it was a Wafu Chinese. Wasn't it? That was it. Look at what you've got now. I, yesterday, I went with my son to Dundonald for the afternoon to watch a movie. You would never have went like, do you want to go for a trip to Dundonald? <laughs> or, it's amazing. In 11 years, look how much Dundonald has grown and changed. How about you? How are you getting on? If we've done a survey around Dundonald, what's been the significant changes in the last 11 years in Dundonald? Would your name be on the list? What would the community say about you? The point I'm making this, this morning to start with is this. Listen, our world is changing. Our world is changing. We have a never-changing Word in an ever-changing world. And we need to make sure in our ever-changing world that we are constantly relevant to our culture and making the difference. You are still strategically placed. As you were 11 years ago, you are today. You are still strategically placed. You are still practically, tactically, and spiritually strategically placed as a church. 
And this is a significant season for this church. Strategically placed practically to reach your community with the good news of Jesus. If you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, you can become one. It's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. What will you do with Jesus? It's, it's not about your husband or your wife. It's about you and God. Are you a Christian? Maybe you're a backslider here this morning. Well, you need to know that God hasn't slid away from you. You slid away from him. But he's waiting with open arms for you to come home. But as a church, you are strategically placed to bring that great gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection to Donald. Who's up for it? Come on, who's up for that? Not many. We've got to be up for it. The Great Commission. Tactically, you have a unique leadership in here, and you've got exciting days upon you. Let's build his church in Dundonald. Let's model it tactically that we can plant churches across Ireland. You can do that. Don't wait for the lead from anywhere else. You're on Donald Elam. You can do it. You can do this. Because no one else is doing it. The Republic of Ireland is the most unevangelized English speaking nation in the world. Northern Ireland has more churches per square foot than any other English-speaking nation in the world. How does that work? Talk to me about that. I'll tell you what's happened there. Kleptomaniac. He's done a number on us. 40 years of troubles. He's robbed us of our mission to advance the kingdom of God. How can we have our neighboring country on our Single Island is the most unevangelized English-speaking nation in the world while we all sit in our churches on a Sunday morning. We know what we need to do. We need to plant life-giving churches. They don't need to be big churches with big buildings. They just need to be Christ-centered, life-giving churches. Pool Glass, three miles from here. 16,000 people live in Pool Glass. 4% attend Mass. 96% don't attend anything. So when you plant your first church, graciously and lovingly, do not plant your church in East Belfast where there are already 56 churches. Go and plant your church in Pool Glass. Go and plant your church in the most needy areas. Rick Warren's ministry exploded when he got a map of the world and he narrowed it down to Saddleback in California, and I believe he was living up near Florida somewhere, and he, he packed up his trunk, and he moved the family all the way down to Saddleback. Why? Because it was the fastest growing community in America. So he looked at it tactically and said, I'm going to plant a church in the fastest growing community in America. And he's an anointed preacher. He's a tactically, spiritually, but he took the courage and he took the step. So I want to challenge you this morning in that. 
tactically, you can do it in here. Your leadership in here is outstanding. I've worked with this guy, Pip Kerr, for 23 years. And before that, I played football with him. I know him, like next to his mom and his wife, I, I probably know him better than anybody. He is top drawer. You are very blessed to have him. In having Phil Hills and your leadership team here, he's probably, listen up, he's probably one of the top five leaders in the UK. You don't know how good you've got at people. So let's advance the mission of God. I'm excited about that. Everything around you is changing, but don't miss the opportunity. Spiritually, you are positioned to get the church ready globally for the end time revival when Jesus returns. We sung about it this morning. We need to believe in it. He's coming back. He's coming back. And we need to make sure that Ireland knows Jesus. You've got a job to do. It's not someone else's job. It's your job. I'm excited. Maybe my face doesn't say it, but I'm excited for what the future has in Donald Deenham. So when I'm asking you the question, what's been happening in the last 11 years? I'm not analyzing that in terms of what I do and what I don't know. I'm just asking that as a generic question to say what's been happening to challenge us and to propel us for the next 11 years. And let's be aware of the enemy's tactic in that. Um, when I was here 11 years ago, I didn't have an iPhone. Do you know what I had? A Blackberry. Does anybody still have a Blackberry phone in here? No, I didn't think so. Probably some of you are going, what's a Blackberry phone? But actually, if you go back to 2007, 50% of the smartphone market was Blackberry. 50%. And this is what happened in January 2007. A bald guy, quite slim, better looking than me, but got up on the stage with a piece of glass. His name was Steve Jobs. And he said, this is going to revolutionize the world. You'll be able to download music in this. You'll be able to download maps on this. You'll be able to download movies in this. This is going to change the world. At that time, the CEO of Blackberry was on his treadmill in the house watching it on TV. And they, he thought, how do they do that? How do they get all of that into that phone? The next morning, he met with his fellow CEO on Blackberry and said, you got to watch this. And he watched the launch of Apple. He said, these guys are good. These guys are really good. His colleague said to him, we don't need to worry about it. The battery doesn't last. The touch screen isn't responsive enough. We don't need to worry. And they did nothing. They did nothing. The following year, 2008, Apple rolled out their juggernaut. It's, it's called the Apple Store. And that was the end of BlackBerry. Inside five years, they went from 50% of the market to 0.04% of the market. They went from $1.9 billion a year to a $5 billion loss in five years. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens when you do nothing. 
Isn't that right? It happens when you see the potential in something and you don't go after it. And I challenge you this morning, see the opportunity, see the potential that God has for you this morning and grasp it. These are exciting days. This is what BlackBerry done. They said, well, we like our device. We like it. We can press buttons. People won't leave our like press button thing. But they did, didn't they? No one's got a button phone now, have they? <laughs> What's the point I'm making on that, right? You, here's, here's what I, I I'm going to give you some, some, some reflection on that, right? What kind of church are you this morning? Are you an Apple church or are you a Blackberry church? An Apple church or a Blackberry church? Or let's go through all of the things that you do in your church. All the activities, all the programs, I just put beside them. Apple or Blackberry? If you put Blackberry beside it, you've got two options. One is a serious upgrade, or you pin it. But don't market your church as a Blackberry church if you're going to be an Apple church, amen? Hello, you with me? So Donald Elam, let's be an Apple church in the true sense of the word. Okay, let's, let's pray. I want to share with you something from uh, God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning and you change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, have you noticed I'm matching today? I've got my pink on. I'm, I'm a burgundy, so I'm like, look. I'm like part of the furniture. You're all pink and burgundy in here. Campbell's got his pink tie on too. Pip's missed the memo here. So we're all, we're all going pink and burgundy to be part of the furniture. Uh, Pip, we're following on the series, um, God Is. It's a great title, isn't it? God Is. I can put a lot of things after that. God is good. God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. Uh, and what also helps us sometimes to understand what things are is to define what they're not. And we're going to do a little bit, bit of that um, this morning. The text that we're looking at is in the passage of Zephaniah. It's in the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 is a passage that I've been given. Um, uh, how do you put an evangelist out of business? Two things. You give them a room full of Christians and you give them an Old Testament passage. <laughs> Um, but but that's, a, that's a passage that we've got. But whatever passage that we have in the, in the Scripture, this is what we do with it. We, we, we draw a thread to, to the cross and the Calvary and what Jesus done. So it's an Old Testament passage to set the scene. Uh, Israel's been, uh, had 12 tribes, 10 in the north, 2 in the south. The 10 tribes in the north have been taken into captivity. There's two tribes left in the south and the little uh, Judah. Uh, in the little Judah, there's a new king. Uh, and the new king is trying to bring up about a reformation, a change, and get the people away from the idols, away from their old pat patterns and bad practices, and to bring them back to God. And in that context comes the prophet Zephaniah. He's... Um, he, this is a strategic time for, um, for Judah. As he, these are challenging words. Um, and this is the message that, that he brings. He brings a message, and the message is one of repentance. 
and it's a message of second chances. And if you go through the book, um, there is, it's a very short book, but there's some real key points that you can draw out from the book. I want to highlight just a couple of uh, passages just to get the whole context of the, of the, the message this morning. Zephaniah 1 verse 12, it says this, this is the Lord speaking at, through Zephaniah, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. So it's a message of judgment that we find in Zephaniah 1 and verse 17. And then in, um, in chapter 2 verse 3, it says, seek the Lord all you humble of the land and do what he justly commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of God's anger. The word very strong in that passage is perhaps. So it's a passage of judgment and there's a pa- the sense of perhaps is don't just think because your great, great grandfather was honored and blessed by God that he's going to bless you. Perhaps he'll bless you, but you need to get yourself in the right position before God. And then we'll go through to this key passage that we're going to look at this morning in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. And just very simple points I want to draw out of this. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. He's the mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will exalt you with loud singing. If you're reading the NIV, it says this, the Lord your God is with you. He is a mighty warrior who saves. He takes great delight in you. In his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord your God is with you. It's the first point. I want, to, I want you to think about this morning, just over the next five minutes. God is with you. The Lord, your God, is with you. He, remember I said, it's like, what he, is he, what is God? It helps us to look at what he's not. So the first point is this, right? He is not distant. God is not distant. The Lord, your God, is with you. The first point in this is, is he your God? Have you made him your God? Because if he's not your God, if you haven't made him your God, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then then he is a bit distant from you. He's not distant in the term of he is omnipresent, he is everywhere, but relationally, he's distant from you because Jesus is the bridge that brings us back to God. Isn't that right? So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the first concern I have for you is that God is not as close to you as he should be because you haven't reconciled yourself to God through Jesus. But for those of us who are here here today today and are Christians, the good news is this. He is not distant. Come on. He is not distant. That's good, isn't it? How close is God this morning? He's as close as the mention of his name. If you had a bad day yesterday, if you upset someone, you said the wrong thing, God does not like frown and and fold his arms and turn his back on you. He doesn't have the capacity to do that. He is always, 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 always loving, always close, always up and personal with each of us. That's, a good, that's good news this morning. God is not a distant God. When Yuri Gagarin went into space, the, the Russians tell us that he commented and said, I see no God up here. Yuri Gagarin, there's a slight problem there. You're looking in the wrong places. God does not live on the planets. He does not live in a cloud. He lives in the hearts of men and women, people like you and people like me. Isn't that right? So he's not distant. God is close to you today. I, I have confidence in that. 
Walk in the confidence and the knowledge that God is not distant. James 4 and 8 says this, draw near to God and he will, he will, he will draw near to you. So if you take a step towards God today, he will take a hundred steps towards you. Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, at the very end of that great commission, Jesus says, I am with you always, always. John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this, it is essential, expedient, it is necessary that I go to heaven. You might not get this, disciples, but I need to go to heaven because only when I go can I send you the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and I will send him and he will be with you. So as a Christian here today, the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. God is not distant. The second thought on the passage is this. God is not weak. He is a warrior. Some people look at the church and they don't want to join the church. You know what's quite interesting? The survey in the UK says this, that most men who live in housing estates believe in God more so than those who are middle class and upper class but they don't go to church. So if you ask the, the man in the street in Ballybean or wherever it is, most men, if you ask them, do they believe in God? They will say, yeah, but they don't go to church. Here's why they don't go to church, because they see it as wet, feminine, weak. Everything that the church shouldn't be because our God is a warrior and he's given us the armor of God and we are warriors under his command. They all want to play like Call of Duty on a PlayStation and fight on the streets. If you want to be a warrior, you need to join the church. Isn't that right? We need to change the perception. Our God is a warrior God. He's not a weak God. He's a warrior God. You put on the whole armor of God because you're going to go in battle with him. The message is we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities and powers. He's a warrior God. So our God is not distant and our God is not weak. But if you're here this morning and you haven't been reconciled to God through Jesus, then you are distant from God. And when you're distant from God, you are distant from the warrior and then you are vulnerable to attack because he's a kleptomaniac. But the good news is, that when your life is hidden in Christ, he can't do a number on you. Amen. He can't steal from you when the warrior is next to you. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 1 and he says, I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your shield. That's a war term. If I go down to Paul today and I say, Paul, I'm going to give you a shield. He's going to think, right, something must be coming at me. He's given me that for a reason. And God didn't come to Abraham and say, I'm going to give you a shield. Listen, this is what he said. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be, it's going to be that 
big and bad and ugly out there and the devil is going to try and do a number on you every moment of the day, but I am going to be your shield, your warrior. Our God is a warrior. Listen, I wouldn't want to live one moment without my hand in the warrior's hand. Because our days are dark and evil. He is not distant. He is not weak. And he is not abstract. He is not abstract. The end of the passage says this about our warrior God. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice with gladness, and he will sing over you with love. These are not terms that are floating in the sky, that are abstract, that we try and, like God is, like it's just a force or a cloud. What is abstract? Well, abstract are things that, that we, we can't kind of physically see them or uh, conceptualize it in our minds. They are shapes and colors and textures and moods and feeling. You're trying to think of abstract art. You know, people like, just get a paintbrush and all different colors. And then we all step back and go, what does that mean? And someone looks at it and goes, wow, I think there's a, I think it's a picture of the world. And someone says, I think it's a picture of a flower. And it's whatever it means to you, isn't it? And we all go, that's quite nice. And hopefully someone who's very rich, it'll mean something personal and they'll buy your painting. But, but God is not like that. He's not abstract. He is a good father who is a warrior who rejoices over you, who saves you. He has very, very clear characteristics. Do not think of God as some cloud or force. Sometimes people think the Holy Spirit is just a force or a wind or a dove. He's not. He's got all the characteristics of a person. Father God has all the characteristics right there. And he wants to rejoice over you with singing today. What a great verse. To know that God is close, that he's a warrior God, that he loves us, that he's mighty to save, and he wants to rejoice over us with singing. He wants to sing over you this morning. When my kids were younger, I would uh, put them up on my knee. I would sing a song to them. If I'd done that to Noah now, he'd probably hit me a slap. But when they were younger, maybe they were distressed, they couldn't sleep. You pop them on your knee. And even in my croaky voice, I'd make up songs. Any other dads do that? No, just me. I'd make up songs, sing a song. God wants to sing a song over you this morning, and you're not too big to climb up onto your father's knee. And let him sing a song over you. And you, you want to sing a song to him? We've sung some beautiful songs this morning. Maybe as we close this morning, God said, hey, let me sing over you. I've got one for you. I've got one. Let me sing over you. Let's, uh, let's just bow our heads in a moment of reflection.
He is not distant. He is not abstract. And he is not weak. He is your father. And no matter what kind of week you've had, don't think of all the excuses why you can't climb up on his knee, but just come to him as you are this morning and let him sing a song over you. What would the Lord sing over you today? What would the Lord speak over you today? The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing.